you're visiting with us, we've been looking at the various ways in which the promise of Emmanuel is foreshadowed in this chapter. So far, we've seen the, the glory of Emmanuel as the Spirit of God, the glory of God filled the temple at its dedication. And last time, we saw the faithfulness of Emmanuel as Solomon extols the Lord for his faithfulness to the promise to David. But this morning, as we dive further into Solomon's intercessory prayer, we want to consider together the grace of Emmanuel, the grace of Emmanuel as God in Christ listens to the prayers of his people and forgives them when they turn to him in repentance and faith. Let's pick up our reading nearby where we left off last time at verse 22, but we'll focus this morning on verses 31 through 53. Let's give our careful attention to the living and abiding word of the Lord. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven and said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. You have kept with your servant David, my father, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand have fulfilled it this day. Now, therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, what you promised him, saying, You shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel, if only your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me as you have walked before me. Now, therefore, O God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. Will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God. Listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day. That your eyes may be open night and day toward this house, the place of which you have said, My name shall be there. You may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place. And listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. And listen in heaven your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. If a man sins against his neighbor and is made to take an oath and comes and swears his oath before your altar in this house, then hear in heaven and act and judge your servants, condemning the guilty by bringing his conduct on his own head and vindicating the righteous by rewarding him according to his righteousness. And when your people Israel are defeated before the enemy because they have sinned against you, and if they turn again to you and acknowledge your name and pray and plead with you in this house, then hear in heaven and forgive. Forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them again to the land that you gave their fathers. When heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, if they pray toward this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk, and grant rain upon your land, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. And if there is famine in the land, if there is pestilence or blight or mildew or locust or a caterpillar, if their enemy besieges them in the land at their gates, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever plea is made by any man, or by all your people Israel, each knowing the affliction of his own heart and stretching out his hands toward your house. Then hear in heaven your dwelling place 
and forgive and act and render to each whose heart you know according to all his ways. For you, you only know the hearts of the children of mankind, that they may fear you all the days they live in the land that you gave to our fathers. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for your name's sake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays toward this house, hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. If your people go out to battle against their enemy by whatever you shall send them, and they pray to the Lord toward the city that you have chosen, the house that I have built for your name, then hear in heaven your pr- their pl- prayer and their plea, and maintain their cause. And if they sin against you, For there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them, and give them to an enemy, so that they are carried captive to the land of the enemy, far off or near. Yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive, and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors, saying, We have sinned, we have acted perversely and wickedly. If they repent with all their mind and with all their heart in the land of their enemies, who carried them captive and prayed toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, and the city that you have chosen, and the house that I have built for your name, then here in heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their plea, and maintain their cause, and forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions that they have committed against you, and grant them compassion in the sight of those who carried them captive, that they may have compassion on them. For they are your people and your heritage, which you brought out of Egypt from the midst of the iron furnace. Let your eyes be open to the plea of your servant and to the plea of your people Israel, giving ear to them whenever they call to you. For you separated them from among the peoples of the earth to be your heritage, as you declared through Moses your servant when you brought our fathers out of Egypt, O Lord God. Thus far the reading of God's word may he bless it to us as we meditate upon it this morning. Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, according to the Westminster Larger Catechism, one of the great confessions of our Presbyterian brothers and sisters, prayer is an offering up of our desires to God in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. And then when Westminster asks, how are we to pray? The answer is given that we are to pray with a reverent awareness of the majesty of God, as well as with a deep sense of our own unworthiness, necessities, and sins, and with enlarged hearts that are filled with repentance, thankfulness, and confidence. Well, I couldn't help but wonder if some of the Westminster divines at this great assembly perhaps had this prayer of King Solomon and Molly when they sought to answer these pressing questions regarding the what and the how of our prayers. How should we address this God who is simultaneously the transcendent God of the universe and at the same time the the imminent God of the covenant? I trust you'll recall from last time how these are the the two characteristics which we must always Keep in mind when we approach the Lord and worship and prayer, his 
transcendence as well as his eminence, his immensity as well as his intimacy. For such is the balance that King Solomon seems to be striking here in our passage as he with with uplifted heart and uplifted hands storms the the mercy seat of this great God who is as gracious as he is glorious. And as Solomon does so, as he offers up this prayer to the Lord on Israel's behalf, we are comforted once again by by the promise of Emmanuel, by the promise of God to to draw near to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. As Solomon prays in his office as king, he himself is a a shadow of Emmanuel, that greater king to come in whom the the roles of prophet, priest, and king will, will converge into one, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who not only prayed for his disciples on the earth, but who continues to pray at the right hand of his Father for us. And this, of course, should drive us to praise God, to thank him, that as we reflect on Christ coming into the world, we do so remembering that that he came to be our intercessor, that he came to intercede for us, to, to stand between God and us and to, to plead our cause at God's throne of grace. The grace of Emmanuel. This is the grace of Emmanuel, boys and girls, because God's favor and forgiveness aren't things that we have earned or merited on our own. But this is the grace of Emmanuel because despite our unworthiness, God has freely given these things to us nevertheless. He freely gives these things to whoever will repent of their sins and turn to him in faith. And so as we work our way through Solomon's prayer this morning, I'd like for us to consider three things or three features of this prayer together. First of all, Emmanuel's grace for insiders. And then secondly, Emmanuel's grace for outsiders. And then finally, Emmanuel's grace for us all. You'll notice that much of this prayer of King Solomon is centered on the needs of the people of Israel, that is, those who are already members of God's covenant community. And yet, what is that we discover, about, discover to be true about these people who are on the inside? What is that we discover about these people who have known the steadfast love and faithfulness of the Lord? What is the the message that Solomon is, is driving home throughout this prayer again and again and again. I trust we heard the repeated refrain, and when you hear, forgive. Or hear in heaven your dwelling place and forgive. Hear and forgive. Hear and forgive. Hear and forgive. Because even those who are on the inside, even those who have experienced in their own lives the covenant kindness of God, even they stand in constant need of his forgiveness. As Solomon intercedes on Israel's behalf, we might be tempted to say, on the one hand, why, why is Solomon so pessimistic? It almost seems as though he assumes Israel is going to fail and sin and fall short. Then we look at our own lives and we plumb the depths of our own hearts. We soon discover that King Solomon is just being realistic, isn't he? For on this side of glory, none of us ever graduate from needing to pray, hear and forgive. Hear, Lord, and forgive. 
I believe it was Paul Tripp who was coined that expression of how often in our sin we, we add so much hurt to our hurt. And that's so true. We, we fall into sin and we try to, to cover up that sin with fig leaves and, the, and it does great damage to our consciences and to our relationships, greater damage than we even know. Even those who are on the inside, those who belong to the covenant community are are prone to to sinning against their neighbors, as Solomon notes in verses 31 and 32. And we feel that pain when sin has happened in the church and someone's been sinned against. We don't always know who to trust, and so we have to leave it to God to deal justly and to vindicate the righteous. And even those on the inside experience God's judgment against their sin through his fatherly chastisement, as Solomon describes how that chastisement is going to take shape in all kinds of various ways, whether it be the, the defeat of their enemies or famine or pestilence or plague. For although they've been redeemed by his outstretched arm, and although they've been named and claimed as his very own, like that dog in Proverbs 26, even the redeemed are, are so prone to return to their own vomit as fools return to their folly. In fact, when you read on in the Old Testament, when you read on even in First and Second Kings alone, what you soon discover is that Solomon's words here in First Kings chapter 8 are as much prophecies as they are petitions. For although the people of Israel were oftentimes victorious, they were not always free from defeat. And there were times when God would give them over to their enemies when they sinned against him. Think, for example, of that time when when the people of Israel were given into the hands of the Philistines for, for bringing the ark of God into the battlefield. But God had warned them in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28 that if they did not keep his commandments, then he would turn against them and allow their enemies to strike them down. And as we know, this sad history is going to repeat itself, isn't it? It's going to repeat itself when Assyria invades the north, when Babylon invades the south and the potential drought for which King Solomon prays in verses 35 and 36. That's exactly what happens, isn't it? In the days of, of King Ahab, when the people of Israel turn away from God and turn to the Baals and Asterisks, there is drought over the land. In the same way, Solomon's petition with regards to the enemy besieging Israel and the land at their gates will also come to pass in the reign of King Hezekiah, when Sennacherib, king of Assyria, comes and, and besieges the city of Jerusalem. All these things are going to, to befall the people of Israel because of their sin. Because they, they continually turned away from the Lord. And yet in each of these instances, what does God do? In each of these instances, God does what he always does. He provides a way out. If only the people will turn from their sin and return to him in repentance and faith. This God does by graciously answering King Solomon's petitions in virtue of that atoning death of the greater king to come. Hear and forgive. Hear and forgive. And so it goes with just about all the petitions and scenarios to follow that God would hear the prayers of his people and forgive them when they pray. When they pray toward that place where God promised, my name shall be there. 
that God would forgive when they prayed toward that place where those sacrifices were placed on the altar, pointing them forward to that greater altar to come. And this is Emmanuel's grace for insiders, isn't it? That despite the sins and failures which are all too common in the church of Christ, whether that's the Old Testament church or the New Testament church, Emmanuel is the same yesterday as he is today. He yet has regard for the prayers of his servants and to their pleas. He listens to their cries. His eyes are, are open night and day, says Solomon. He's never slumbering, never sleeping, but always, always ready to lend his, his listening ear to those who will come in repentance and faith. And not because they deserve it, not because they've earned it, but because God is gracious to do so. This is the promise that Mitch and Esther and Matt and Jenny to put before these covenant children. Because even though Miles and Noah are on the inside, and that they are, they are members of God's covenant community. Even though they are on the inside, they too have the same tendencies of faithless Israel in their bones. They too are going to sin. They're going to miss the mark. They're going to fall short. They're going to fail of all sorts of things that God calls them to, and yet, as they do so, they're going to need Emmanuel's grace for insiders. They're going to need to know that. They, too, will have to learn to plead that grace and rest in that grace after they've sinned, as we all must do. And that's what the water poured on their heads is intended to impress upon our hearts this morning, that that need to be washed, that need to plead God's grace, to say with David, wash me of all my sins, cleanse me, for I have sinned. For Emmanuel is indeed merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He does not always chide. He does not always deal with us according to our sins. But as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. As King Solomon prays for the people of Israel, he himself is a picture of that greater king to come. For shadows, that intercessory ministry of our Savior, who, who on the eve of his crucifixion, even then when he's about to die, is focused not on himself, but on, on the needs of his vulnerable disciples. Lord, preserve them from the evil one. Lord, keep them from them. And, and Christ continues to intercede in that same way, to, to plead our cause, to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He points back to his atoning death on the cross. And this intercession, of course, is, is grounded in the unchanging love that he has for us, this is ground in that love which God had for us even from before the very foundation of the world, as the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1. This gracious forgiveness flows from God's heart, which we discover in verses 41 and 43 extends not only to insiders, but also to outsiders. Notice how the first word in verse 41 is likewise. The word, likewise, is our cue to, to read what follows in light of what's already been said. It's our cue to, to apply the, the themes of verses 31 through 40 to verses 41 to 43. 
Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for your name's sake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays toward this house, hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. Now, this congregation is a truly amazing petition because who could we say it is that King Solomon here has in view? We could say that as Solomon prays these words, he has our Gentile ancestors in view. And by extension, we could say that King Solomon also has you and me in view. Solomon recognizes Emmanuel's grace for outsiders, which is precisely that we as Gentile Christians used to be. Those who are on the outside. Those who are at one time, says Paul, strangers and aliens to the covenant of promise, without hope because we were without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, says Paul, we who are once far off have been brought near. We've been Emmanueled by the blood of Christ. And through him, says Paul, we have access in one spirit to the Father, so that we are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. In this petition, we see that Solomon's desire is, is Christ's desire, that, that men and women, that boys and girls from every tribe, tongue, and nation would, would come to know this gracious God of the covenant who, who condescends and, and dwells in the midst of his people. Wasn't this God's promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12? When he gave the commission to go into the world that, with the promise that I will bless that you might be a blessing and that in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that promise, that vision for the world is going to be picked up later, isn't it? In the, in the church's oldest songbook in Psalm 67 where the people of Israel would pray as we now pray May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Why? So that his name may be known on earth, his saving power among all nations. Let all the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And this we know is why Jesus came into the world. That God so loved the world, he so loved these outsiders that he sent his only begotten Son into the world, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Christ comes into the world so that this promise of God might be fulfilled, so that this vision of God might be recast and, and published into all the world. This is why he gave the disciples the great commission, isn't it? For they too were to have this concern, this zeal for the lost, for the outsider, for those who are, who are still on the outside of, of the covenant community of blessing. And so as King Solomon prays for the foreigner, he's making God's mission his own. This is the heart of God for a lost world. 
This is the heart of God for people who are sinful and aimless and, and ignorant to all the blessings that we've come to know today. Here in 1 Kings chapter 8, God, the Spirit, is, is showing us the Father's heart for our neighbors, many of whom will likely be celebrating Christmas without having a clue as to what Christmas is all about. Celebrating Christmas, not, not knowing that there is a Savior from all their sins. Can you imagine it? Going through the, the motions of hanging lights and putting up a tree and opening presents and Drinking egg, eggnog, knowing all along, deep down, that you're at enmity with the God of the universe. Solomon's prayer shows us that God is concerned for them. Solomon's prayer shows us that God would, would have them to hear of his great name and his mighty hand and his outstretched arm that, that extended down to, to bring Israel out of Egypt through the waters of the Red Sea. You would have them to hear of that name. And so the question that King Solomon's prayer begs of us this morning is whether or not we have a concern for them as well. Do we also have a concern for outsiders? That they too would come to know the grace of Emmanuel. Congregation, how can we not? How can we not have this concern for the lost, when we remember at one time we were lost. When we remember those words of the Apostle Peter who said to those Gentile exiles, once you were not a people, once you had known no mercy, but now you are God's people. But now you have received mercy. Indeed, Emmanuel's grace is for us all. And that's the last thing we want to consider together this morning. You'll notice how in verses 46 and following, King Solomon concludes with the absolute worst-case scenario, the covenant threat of exile, the covenant threat of God's people being carried off to a foreign land, losing everything they hold dear, their land, their temple, and their king. Solomon prays, Lord, if they sin against you, for there is none who does not sin. And you are angry with them and give them to an enemy so that they are carried away, captive to the lane of the enemy, far off or near. And again, we know how prophetic Solomon's petition here is because it's going to happen. Israel's unfaithfulness is going to result in her being carried away. The northern tribes of Israel are going to be carried off and, and dispersed at the Assyrian Empire. And even the remaining small tribes, the southern tribes of Judah, are going to be carried off into Babylon. And it will seem as though there is no hope as they sing the words of Psalm 137. By the waters of Babylon we sat down and wept. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? And yet, what does Solomon go on to pray? He goes on to plead the mercies of the Lord. Verse 47, Yet if they turn with their heart in the land to which, you have been, to which they have been taken, carried captive, and if they repent and plead with you in the land of their captors, saying, We have sinned, 
We have acted perversely and wickedly. If they repent with all their heart and with all their soul, verse 49, then hear their prayer and plea, maintain their cause, and forgive your people who have sinned against you, and grant them compassion in the sight of those who carried them captive, that they may have compassion on them, for they are your people and your heritage, which you brought out of Egypt from the midst of the iron furnace. We, of course, know that God has heard this prayer. Because despite the fact that Israel is going to be divided, and despite the fact that the line of promise through Judah is going to be threatened and almost snuffed out in the days of Daniel and Esther, God is going to be faithful to his character. And God is going to be faithful to his promise. And God is going to work saving faith and godly sorrow in the hearts of that remnant so that they repent of their sins and turn to him in faith. God is going to restore their fortunes, even as those prophets of of judgment had foretold, saying, for example, as, as Micah said, who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and, and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. You do not retain your anger forever because you delight in steadfast love. God will again have compassion on us. He will tread all our iniquities under feet and he will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. As the contemporary hymn writer has put it this way, what love could remember, no, wrongs we have done, omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum, thrown into the sea without one on the shore, our sins they are many, but his mercy is more. For there is indeed more mercy in Christ than there is sin in you. In this congregation is King Solomon's confidence Yes, he recognizes that God's grace doesn't rule out consequences for sin, and we recognize that too. For while we perhaps don't, don't know what it's like to be carried off to a foreign land, we, we do know what it, what it feels like to have God feel felt like he is far from us and we've sinned. And who among us has an experience we confess in, in Article 5 of the fifth head of doctrine, the canons of Dort, that then we've fallen in a deep sin. We've lost the awareness of God's grace, of his favor for a time. But then what have we also experienced in the wake of, of returning to the way of genuine repentance? We've also experienced, haven't we, the blessing of God's forgiveness and his fatherly face shining upon us once again. For as Article 6 goes on to say, God, who is rich in mercy according to his unchangeable purpose of election, does not take his Holy Spirit from his people completely, even when they fall grievously. Neither does he let them fall down so far that they forfeit the grace of adoption and the state of justification. Article 7, for God preserves his saints, and by his word and spirit he certainly and efficaciously renews them to repentance. And this dear congregation is Emmanuel's grace for us all. He does not leave us or forsake us in our sin. 
When we do as King Solomon by the Spirit has said, when we turn our hearts in repentance and faith, we can be sure that, that God's eyes and ears will be open to us as, as we look to that greater dwelling place to the Lord Jesus Christ in whom the grace of Emmanuel was made manifest. For we too are God's heritage, the people whom he has separated out of the world And there is indeed coming a day when Christ shall return and take us up to that eternal heavenly home where there shall be no more sin in Emmanuel's land. For there the loud voice thunders from the throne of grace. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And this is our hope, people of God. This is the future which Christmas calls us to, to consider and anticipate, even as we reflect on the past, singing as fervently as, as Israel would have sung, Come, come thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our sins and fears release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we draw near to your throne of grace because you have drawn near to us. And we give you thanks, O God, that you are indeed the looking and listening God of Israel and that you're the looking and listening God of the New Testament church as well. That when we pray, you hear. And when we repent, you forgive. Lord, we thank you that you are a God of grace and mercy who does not leave us or forsake us. And so, Father, if any of us here be living in unrepentance and perhaps we feel that, that distance of the Lord, that you are far from us, We pray that you would grant us that godly sorrow which leads to repentance and faith. That we would know the grace and the blessing of your fatherly countenance shining upon us once more. Fathers, we struggle against the sins of the flesh. As we struggle against the temptations of this life, we pray that you would come quickly. Fathers, we sing, come, thou long-expected Jesus. May we sing that fervently and eagerly, praying that he would not come tomorrow, that he would come today, as we sing, that he would come down and take us up to Emmanuel's land. Plant that hope and that faith in our hearts for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's stand to sing.